Well, hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? Welcome to your 2022 playoff baseball with no White Sox in it. You are listening to White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I am here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? Uh, you know, you said it already. Uh, no White Sox baseball in the playoffs, so that's a bit of a bummer. But uh, you know, here we are. I'm doing well outside of that, and uh, I hope that uh, all our viewers and listeners are doing well as well. <laughs> how many times? How many more times can I say "well" in the same sentence? Well, uh, well, how you doing, bud? <laughs> I'm doing all right. You know, just keeping busy. Uh, coming down to the wire with the boys' uh, fall ball season. Uh, they're playing in the championship game, so we're just waiting to find out who we're playing, and then find out when we're playing. Um, got one more game. Had uh, supposedly the last practice tonight, so uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, so that'll yeah. free up some time. So that'll be nice. Um, but yeah, other than that, everything's good. You know, just work and um, trying to pay as little attention to baseball as possible at this point because uh, this season hurt me. Um, yeah, long brutal season. Even with the prediction of 83 wins, which they did not hit, um, like I said on the last episode, could not have predicted it, and I certainly wouldn't have predicted it to be as painful as it was, even uh, going 500. Um, no, I mean, you know, I think we both kind of lowballed expectations. Uh, again, you know, we've talked about it before. My number was a few games higher than yours, but it wasn't anything ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it, we, it, it, in our lowballing of predictions, we still couldn't go <laughs> low enough to actually come up with anything close to the, the total, the real outcome of the season. And that in itself is just a real kick in the pants. Such a disappointment, man. Yeah, that's uh, fairly accurate. Um, so, just to break down the playoffs for uh, what has happened so far, uh, not that we are really all that concerned, um, but I will say the Guardians made the uh, made the the trip, and uh, you know, are actually they're they're going to play against the Yankees. So uh, the Guardians made it out of the first round of the playoffs, with something, which is something the White Sox cannot say. No, the Guardians have won as many games in this postseason alone that the White Sox have in their last two postseasons. Shame, shame. Yeah, and uh, for the first time in years and years, the Mariners made it to the playoffs, and they beat the Blue Jays, and so now they're playing the Astros. So Astros, Mariners, Guardians, Yankees is your two playoff matchups for the division series, uh, divisional series, and um, I don't know, we'll see who uh, who's going to play in the uh, ALCS, but um, yeah, I have Padres, to say... Uh, well, yeah. yeah, well, I, I'm, I'd just say I, I'd have to... I'd be kind of shocked if it was anybody but the Astros and Yankees playing, but you know, stranger things have happened. The Yankees haven't been playing as well in the second <coughs> half as they did the first half, and uh, the Astros are still the Astros. And 
you know, they play the Mariners, uh, what, like 19, 18, 19 times um, this year. So uh, it's not like they don't know each other very well. Um, I will say that the Mariners did do a very good job at the trade deadline and uh, acquiring some talent to help them make that push. And guess what? It worked. Um, Yeah, moving over to the NL, um, which – this is this is a fun one. Uh, the Padres and Mets squared up, and uh, the the Mets, you know, Buck Showalter kind of got cute and uh, started Scherzer instead of Degrom in Game One. I mean, we're talking about Jacob Degrom, and uh, he said that you know he pitched him in the second game. Um. And they started off down 0-1 after Scherzer got absolutely demolished by the Padres. And, um, yeah, Mets get eliminated quickly. Uh, Cardinals and Phillies play. Phillies took care of business. And, uh, you know, I have to say, um, the Phillies, with Bryce Harper hitting home runs, and Zach Wheeler pitching and dominating. You know, from a White Sox perspective, uh, if you are looking at Rick Hahn's press conference, and he says that the White Sox don't have the kind of problems that you can just throw money at, clearly the Phillies and the Padres did have the kind of problems that you could just throw money at. Because they just threw money at their problems, and guess what? They're both advanced in the playoffs, and they're in the second round, which the White Sox cannot say that they have done. Uh, I am just, you know, here's the thing about that whole statement, too, is, you know, you talk about the Phillies, and you drop the two names that apparently, or supposedly, I should say, that the White Sox were in on, you know, in a Bryce Harper and a Zach Wheeler. And, you know, we got excuses for Zach Wheeler. Oh, we offered him more money, but his wife wanted to be closer to her family. And Bryce Harper, you know, we toyed around with, uh, you know, creative contract that, and, you know, there are rumors out there now, Redditors spreading garbage that, uh, oh, Bryce Harper wanted to play here more than, just about anywhere else. And well, so I think they Machado. said that Machado wanted to play here more than anybody Machado, else, but, but yeah. Harper also wanted to play here. Harper wanted to play here, but the, they couldn't just get the money right. And, you know, it was these uh, creative contracts that, uh, you know, the White Sox have actually been known to do for years and years and get, you know, get uh, the most bang for their buck out of some of these contracts and, you know, incentive-laden and, uh, you know, just – escalators and all these things and you know it's funny those two names come up and those are the two names that could have been white Sox players and weren't and then you you know the third name we bring up in that whole thing is manny machado uh also playing with a club that is uh in the postseason and uh just won their first round and is going to be playing a home game finally in the postseason for the first time since 2006 so yeah you know, maybe money doesn't solve everything, but uh, could have solved quite a few issues with the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, where 
they say that money doesn't, you know, money doesn't guarantee happiness. But, I mean, sure can solve a lot of problems. Might not solve all of your problems, for sure. And it might create new ones. Um, However, um, (laughs) clearly, the the White Sox could have done with some of that. Um, So, since you brought it up, um, that quote-unquote source on Reddit... Um, I brought it up here, uh, on my monitor. I'm not going to throw it up on, up on the screen, but, uh, there's a list of 21 items about things that were supposedly talked about between somebody that works for the White Sox and, uh, whoever this, uh, Reddit poster is, um, you know, medical person of some sort yeah yeah something about working in a hospital or something i i don't really know and you know it's again it's one of those things where you know how much of this is is legit um but i did want to talk about it um and so i'm gonna go ahead and uh just list off some of the things that are that are on here um so the first one that's on there is that colas blocked any signing of a right fielder last year um Um, what minor leaguer well yeah i mean but you know I mean, the the fact that they thought he was gonna be ready in 2023 and that uh i know i'm just i know exactly what he means but the way it's written it sounds like oscar colas himself said no oscar say no yeah i mean you know whatever i mean the uh the white Sox very well may have said something like that that they expected him to uh, they didn't know how long it was going to take for him to uh break out and be ready to come up so you know they uh went ahead and you know didn't sign anybody for right field because they were kind of figuring that he was going to be here soon now we yeah, know plausible. that uh, very plausible. i mean that one sounds like fairly legit uh moving along um Here's a, here's an interesting one, which I have also heard from other people, is that TR, TLR answered to nobody but Jerry. And uh, when there were issues, uh, he would go to Jerry and there would be threatening of firing. Um, yeah, I've heard pseudo-similar things, um, but not like quite to that extreme. But, um, you know, we've heard that TLR had complete autonomy uh, with that, uh, with the you know the coaching staff and the the players and whatever, and that would explain Leury getting that three year deal as he is an everyday player uh, that just happens to play a lot of positions. And uh, you know everybody made jokes about uh, Leury having pictures of you know somebody at a Tijuana you know Tijuana show of some sort. Um, now. You know, how much credence you put to that? Yeah, I'd say that that actually sounds pretty plausible. Uh, the next one down the line, Kimbrel Trade By the was, way, for those of you listening on the on the podcast in, you know, in lieu of the stream, you all can't hear me shaking my head with a <laughs> with a, a, a bit lip as uh, Ian says things about, you know, whatever Tijuana shows donkey shows and things of that nature i don't know but 
Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, you I'm know just what? We've been interesting around here. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, next, uh, Kimbrel trade was entirely Kenny Williams. Um, I've heard conflicting views of that. I don't buy that. Um, I don't buy it either, especially since uh, Kimbrel was killing it right up until the point they uh, brought him over. Yeah, it's For, like, uh, oh, yeah. so he had a .55 whip, so, uh, you know. Just because he fell apart over when he moved over to the south side doesn't necessarily mean you know. And the thing was is that when he went, you know, when that happened, they were going for it, and I wasn't mad about it. You know, uh, it ended up not working at all. Um, but I at least you know, unlike this season when the trade deadline came up, you know, at least there was some movement and there was some interesting things. You know, it's like you can't necessarily think that uh Kimbrel's going to go from a 0.55 whip to a 1.6 or whatever it was after he moved yeah. over you know i mean that Pretty was much overnight yeah yeah it was uh unfortunate and uh but you know as the uh, as the meme goes we tried you know indeed indeed uh number 4 Rick Hahn has wanted to quit for some time and will possibly resign in the off season um, you know, you, you want to, you, you would like to think that this is, I mean, I don't know what you'd like to think, I guess. I, I won't put opinions in people's heads. Uh, do you, how much credence do you, how much, how much of this do you think is reality? Uh, that particular bullet point, yeah. I would say, you know, if, I was in Rick Hahn's position and basically had my rebuild that I had put so much time and effort in over the last, you know, four or five years. Uh, and I've had that hijacked from me over, you know, an owner who wants to make up for past indiscretions. I would probably be pretty upset as well. Uh, but at the same time, I got to think that Raycon doesn't want to walk away from his baby when he finally was given the opportunity. You know, he had been hired as GM a couple of years before the fire cell came on. But, you know, there was still the stink of Kenny Williams around this team during his first, you know, two or three seasons as being the GM. And, uh, you know, once we were kind of told it was leaked by, you know, of all people, Bob Nightingale, that, uh, Rick Hahn had finally been handed the keys to the organization. Uh, we saw a change. And when that change occurred, things looked like they were going in the right direction. And it was upon the hire, Mr. LaRussa, where things kind of took a tumble. So, I mean, would I say Rick Hahn wants to quit? I, I would say maybe it's been speculated that it's crossed his mind. I, I you know... I might feel a little undermined and ticked off if that happened to me, but I don't know. He's also a professional. So I, yeah. you know, I don't know where I, I'm kind of on the fence about that thing. You know, has the thought crossed his mind? Probably. Is it a reality that it's going to happen? I'm not so sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, there's also a sub point on here that, uh, you know, about the last point that he was against the Kimbrel trade and apparently was overrode somehow by Kenny. Um, I don't know 
you know, I don't whether, buy that either. I don't, I don't really necessarily buy that. Uh, next one, they offered Bryce Harper $150 million for 11 years, uh, straight up with roughly $80 million in incentives. So that would, you know, even if he hit all of his incentives over 11 years, it would be $230 million, uh, which would roughly put him at, what, uh, $20 million a year. Uh, would be the richest White Sox contract, of course. Um, but for the fact that, you know, it was known that both he and Machado wanted $300 million um, to yeah, even throw that number out ball. there seems fishy, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. Extreme low ball and incentive-laden at the same time. It just, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, if they did offer that, I mean, okay. If that was, you know, if that was what they actually offered, um, uh, no wonder he didn't sign here, and it's no wonder that they would say that uh, there was no actual offer made because that's not much of an offer. So no, and, and that's the thing. Like, even if you took that one fifty and eighty and put them together as a guarantee. He's chances are he doesn't say he still doesn't sign. Yeah, even, we can talk yeah. about incentives all we want, but he's not going to sign for that. Yep. Well, what happened? I don't know. That was weird. Uh, we just went yellow for a minute there. Yeah, that was strange. Are we back? I think so. That was bizarre. It was. I hope we're back in recording. It says it's still streaming. So. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, welcome back, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's showing it's showing up on the uh it's showing up on the old uh twitch so i don't know i don't know what the heck happened there um anywho um so the next one being uh the machado thing um you know that he wanted to sign here and you know the white Sox were mean and didn't let him and um, they didn't offer him any money, and blah blah blah. Um, the yeah, one he really, really wanted to come here more than anywhere. Yeah. And so the Padres had their offer on the table for much longer than the White Sox did, and he was waiting for the White Sox to give him the right counter yeah. to that. Gee, he was just waiting, just waiting, because he wanted so badly to play with his brother-in-law. Yeah. So, like the weird thing about this one is that the uh, said eight years, one hundred and ninety million dollars, with roughly one hundred and fifty million in incentives and playing bonuses. I mean, if that's the case, they offered him three hundred and forty million dollars, which is a lot of bread. Um, I don't buy that, and I also even if that was the offer that they offered him 340 but with 150 in incentives who's taking that nobody right you know even if you've right. got confidence you know, in the yourself minute, the minute he gets a hangnail and misses you know a few games he's losing money yeah uh, you know and then I, if you remember when that came out it was like the last 3 or 4 years of that contract like it wasn't like he had vesting options just to get those last few years Yep. Just to get the base salary for those last few years. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, we are getting a, a visit in the background from uh, one of my three, a Miss Penny, who is being obnoxious for some reason tonight. So, uh, And I don't see her going away anytime soon. She's apparently mad that Daddy is uh, 
sitting in his chair doing his stream instead of paying attention <laughs> to her. So hopefully she'll get tired and lay down. Go on. Um, Penny, go lay down. Next is kind of kind of silly. It says Rick Hahn reads emails from fans. Uh, whatever. Who cares? Um, Spends countless hours. Countless yeah. hours. Everywhere. Yeah. Whatever. Um, number eight said, contrary to number one, the team really wants to sign Michael Conforto. Next. Uh, yeah. Oscar, we, we, Oscar Colas is the guy, but uh, we really want to sign Michael Conforto. We didn't want to sign Michael Conforto last year when we could have used him. Well, he was injured, so, I mean, he wouldn't play or, anyway. Okay. So I'm sorry, further down that list, there's a Brandon Nimmo mention. Which, yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, exactly, uh, whatever. Rambling is in front office about signing Brandon Nimmo. Uh, well, first off, he's still playing. In, uh, well, actually, no, he's not playing anymore. So uh, he's got time to talk about that stuff now, I guess. Um, the next one was, uh, the click leak from Dallas Keuchel, uh, says the most offensive is the Cuban players constantly backing each other. Um, well, so that's d- not news at all because it was leaked again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that wouldn't really surprise me all that much, but, uh, the one that made me, ch- the part that made me chuckle says Dallas is the one that got it the hardest. And I mean, to be honest, if we're talking about people giving Dallas Keuchel a hard time, well, it's not like he was pitching very well. So, I mean, you know, yeah, he's going to get it the hardest because he pitched the worst. He so, didn't like being told to knuckle up, you know, like uh, here you are talking about there's no fire in the clubhouse and guys are, you know, just not motivated. Well, it sounds to me like they were trying to motivate you and, like it so much so yeah sorry and then you had to get your mom to come defend you yeah awesome dude right there <laughs> my fate my favorite uh my favorite so good um next uh ta stuff don't care uh next one jose offer one year 15 to 20 million i mean this whole thing, you know, is one of those things that's been talked about a lot lately. Um, people trying to figure out how you're going to keep Jose Abreu on this roster. With mean, Aloy. Yeah, with oh, Aloy, exactly, and Sheets. Grandal and Sheets. And you know, you've got all these guys who can DH and, I mean, which is... 73 DHs in yeah. first basement. Yeah, which, you know, I, I do agree that uh, the lineup next year... If the only thing that happens is Jose Abreu goes away, that that lineup is not better than it was this year, no. unless everybody no. stays healthy and everything goes perfect. That's pretty much the only way it's going to be better than it was this no. year if he's gone. History tells us that's probably not going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, the next one is a offer for Otani where they said uh, – you can have the entire team for Otani. Uh, we'll just skip over that one. Yeah, and then they wanted more. Yeah. And they, that's what made the deal fall apart. Yeah. Sure. My, my favorite part about it is that uh, when the Angels uh, sent a counter offer that asked for more, the last name on that list was Rowdy Reed. <laughs> the make or break name on that list is Rowdy Reed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Rowdy Reed. He did a great job this year for the Barons. 
Uh, however, I don't see him being a make or break piece on a deal for Shohei Otani. Um, you know, and- you, you had me at Montgomery. You had me at, you know, guys like Colas and, and Vaughn and Kopech and that whole thing that he mentions in this, this subreddit or whatever. But uh, no, yeah, yeah. Rowdy Reed, Rowdy Reed was the was the player that killed the whole thing. The Sox said, no, you, you can have all that, but you can't have Rowdy Reed. <laughs> You're not taking our Rowdy Rowdy. Um, and, and like you said, Rowdy's been great, but, you know, uh, I think he's going to go before Colas or Vaughn or Kopech or any of those guys. Yeah. Um, moving on down the list, uh, the next one, Sox view nobody, including Cease, as untouchable. Okay, yeah. I I don't necessarily doubt that, although I would think that Cease would probably be uh, the one that they would have the greatest pause about trading. Um, but, yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, and this is not really anything – out of the realm of possibilities. I mean, you know, Rick Hahn says we'll always listen right. to the deals I mean, that are any, offered. Any GM worth their salt is going to listen, you know, because you yeah, never know. You might get just as much or more value from a guy like Dylan Cease who holds that much value. You know what? There, there's no such thing as untouchable. You're going to give me Bryce Harper and Zach Willer for Dylan Cease? Dylan Cease? Sold. Bye. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. Nice, nice to know you, Dylan, but got to go. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah, which nobody's doing that, but, you know. Right, uh, nobody's doing it, but you're, yeah. you're still going to entertain the, you know, the conversation. Yep. Uh, next, uh, skip over that one because we talked about the Nimmo thing already. Uh, next one is uh, Jerry has no interest in hiring Joe Espada, uh, which, you know, if he did Shatter. not want to sign A.J. Hinch uh, to be the manager la- uh, last time, uh, I – also would not be surprised if he didn't want to hire Espada or Carlos Beltran. You know, both of those guys have ties to that uh, that whole cheating scandal. And uh, if they didn't hire either one of them, no big shocker there. So that one doesn't really you know, move the needle for me. Here's him. the thing, though. Can we put the whole cheater thing to bed? Do you want to have this conversation now or later? Do you want to finish the subreddit and then we can move on to that? Because I, I want to put the whole... Yeah, let's just Cheater finish it. At some point. Uh, team isn't going to change all that much this offseason. Nothing fixable. Not not many holes fixable except for right field, which, you know, if that's the case, that, you know, Coloss is probably your your fix for right field. Uh, next is uh, Rodon not offered qualifying offer because they wanted to do him right, and Han was not happy about it. I mean... I guess I could see that. Um, but, I mean, it was also, you know, I, I would not be surprised if that, you know, to me it just seems like uh, silly not to extend the qualifying offer because even if you had like a gentleman's, you know, agree, like all you're doing is losing draft capital by not doing that. So, you know, I don't ex- exactly understand, you know, yeah, I guess you're doing him right where he doesn't have a qualifying offer picked, you know, like attached to him. But the thing was is that the $44 million contract would only gotten you like a second rounder second in the, you know, anyway. So um, not really a huge thing, you know. Um, I don't know, whatever. 
that's kind of one of those things that doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. th- Again, really doesn't need to be in that list at all. And even so, I mean, like, even if they, if that's why they did it, okay, it's, it's kind of, you know, he's family, you know, he's been around for years and I understand them wanting to do him right. Um, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that the White Sox would move on and not at least, you know, get something out of that whole thing. But, uh, you know, stranger things have happened, you know. Um, next, apparently, Menachino is the only one that's going to be gone. Um, whatever. They're considering bringing up uh, CJ from Charlotte. Okay, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, training staff going to be entirely canned again, and Jerry has reached out to Herm Schneider to unretire, which, you know, he was at the TLR press conference. Um, I don't know if I would buy that he would unretire, but, uh, you know, again, stranger things have happened, and it wouldn't yeah, be one no of the... He's no spring chicken. He is not... Um, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, they've been talking with Benetti since after the All Star break to try and get him to continue to do Sox games. Again, not on the field. I mean, it would suck to lose Benetti, but at the same time, um, you know, if he's got better things to do, I don't expect him to stall his career to stay here. Right. And, you know, more power to him. The guy is phenomenal at everything he touches. You know, everything he gets himself involved in, he is good. And that's why he's being sought after so much. So, you know, if uh, they can't come up with a contract to keep him around, I will say thank you for the memories and uh, kudos and good luck on your new ventures. Exactly. And go go live your life, man. (laughs) It does not affect the win-loss column. It does not. I mean, you know, it affects our enjoyment, possibly. But, I mean, it could be that whoever ends up taking over those spots could be okay as well. And there's, you know, and that's not to say, as much as we love Jason, there seems to be a, a, a pretty decent divide in that uh, in, in White Sox fandom. You know, uh, some folks don't like, you know, and I, and I won't say it's, just the older folks, but some folks are uh, a little more adept to liking guys who are not as analytically driven as uh, Jason is. And, uh, you know, they, he might say that he's not the uh, coolest of characters. Some might even call him a nerd. I love him for being a nerd. I, as a stat nerd myself, uh, enjoy that quite a bit, but uh, you know, I'm neither here nor there about it. I, I would love to see Jason come back. I know a lot of Sox fans wouldn't. And, you know, again, it doesn't affect the win-loss column. So, no biggie. Exactly. It Does it do anything to the team? No. And, you know, next. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So, uh, go ahead. Riff on the Astros. Let's hear it. Uh, no. So, really, what I wanted to do was put away – this isn't the Astros – uh, this is more about the White Sox organization than anything. We, I want to put this whole, you know, we're not going to hire a cheater thing to rest because uh, it's plainly obvious that that is garbage. Because the 
upon the hiring of a one Tony Larusa, it was literally less than 24 hours later that uh, you know the uh, DUI, the most recent DUI charges, I should say, the second time around, that Tony Larusa had uh, you know been brought up on uh, another DUI. Literally less than 24 hours after he was announced as a manager. So, you know, you want to talk about uh, unsavory hires, cheaters, things of that nature. You know, we know that Tony La Russa has known, he's coached known cheaters throughout his career, including one who, and I'll just go ahead and throw the name out there, Mark McGuire, who sat in front of a grand jury, lied to that grand jury about his use of steroids and the rampant use of steroids in the baseball game that he knew about. And then came out years later after being hired as Tony LaRouche's hitting coach for the Cardinals, the same year that he was hired to be the hitting coach. I believe it was 2010, if I'm not mistaken in that month or two later, he came out and asked for apologies for lying and said, you know what? I did. I cheated. I lied about it in front of a grand jury. Please, everyone, forgive me. And Tony LaRussa had the gumption to come out and congratulate him for being the bigger man and saying these things. And, you know, it's a really tough thing for him to do. So it's, it's you know, that was a really hard decision for him to make. And, and I I applaud him. Bravo. Bravo. Uh, right. You hired him as your hitting coach. And then kept him on as your hitting coach for the next three seasons. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to, we're talking about hiring guys who are known cheaters. You know, anybody from that Astro squad and the garbage can banging and the whole signal stealing scandal, that's garbage. Absolute horrendously ridiculous garbage because, you know, we hired that guy who has had known cheaters on his clubs for since the nineties. Yeah. Well, you so. know, I mean, the, the difference there is that TLR has no, or, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf has no ties to any of these other guys. So, you know, he didn't wrong them 30 years ago. So now he doesn't have to make up for it. Now. No. Uh, yeah. Well, right, right. But, you know, I'm just saying, if you're going, if you, if you have the, to hire Tony LaRusa and not AJ Hinch, because you're going to call AJ Hinch a cheater. Uh, shame on you for trying to give me the sidestep on that one, because I'm not buying it. Yeah. So that's a, that, that's my rant. I just want to throw it out there. All right. Garbage. Well, let's move let's, on. Yeah. Let's move along. So um, <laughs> today in Bob Nightingale's notebook that he does. Um, there was this said, the Chicago White Sox want to hire a veteran manager to replace Tony La Russa not wanting to take a chance on someone with no experience. Some managers who fit the bill, Bruce Bochy, Mike Schilt, Ron Washington, John Gibbons, Bo Porter, Joe Girardi, Joe Madden. Bochy, Washington, and Schilt are considered the leading candidates. Now, I've heard also that uh, this information... <laughs> is not coming from within the organization and that Bob is just kind of uh spitballing spamming posts out there about uh you know to get people talking. Um which makes sense. I mean, you know, Rick Hahn did kind of put the criteria that they are searching for out there and 
I think uh, Bob's just kind of uh, taking that and, uh, you know, running down the easy numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, as it says here, some managers who fit the bill. It doesn't say this is who I've been told is being considered, even though it says are considered leading candidates. Uh, I would say that Bochy and Schilt are leading candidates because, you know, you've got ties to both of them have been mentioned by people in the White Sox org, you know, with uh, Schilt having direct ties to Tony La Russa, um, sort of, anyway, uh, with the uh, the fact that he used the Cardinals manager. And um, I know that Tony La Russa was one of the main people to go out and defend Mike Schilt's honor um, when he was let go. Um, what that means, I don't know. Um but uh yeah um the ones that i found kind of strange were john gibbons and bo porter bo porter where does bo porter come from bo porter how does he fit the bill i don't know and, and the thing is he hasn't managed since like 2013 or something right you know, uh, well, it fits the bill of past hires of guys who have not managed in, you know, nearly a decade. Yeah. <laughs> Bravo on that again. Um, yeah, just the whole thing seems kind of kind of odd. Um, I did hear uh, some stuff that uh, um, was it uh, mm. Griefel from uh, the Royals bench coach. I heard that he does have an interview with all of the. Uh, you know, with not all, but a, a bunch of the clubs about managing positions. And I've also heard that it's possible that he is interviewing to be a possible bench coach for whoever they do eventually hire. Um, I don't understand because if you're talking about uh, hiring a manager that's done it before in his experience, you're not going to take uh Griefel. And um he hasn't been a part of a winning team. I mean I guess he, he was there when the Royals did win the World Series. Um but and he does have a lot of experience across a bunch of different jobs. I I just don't understand right you know and also that's you know, the thing about Griffel is is he's kind of a jack of all trades type guy where, you know, He's been part of front offices. He's been part of scouting departments. He's been he's been in an executive role. He's been in a coaching role. He's been just all over the place. He's got some minor league uh, managerial experience, which, you know, fine. Uh, all good things. But, again, like you said, uh, he doesn't have any managerial experience at the major league level. And the last time he was part of a winning culture is, again, when the Royals were – you know, winning. And that's been some time now. This is not recent, as Rick Hahn would say, recent winning uh, culture in, you know, uh, as a bench coach, I mean, could he make an impact on a team? Maybe. Yeah. You know, but he here's was a player development guy for a while. One but, question you know. about that is if you are trying to hire as, as has been mentioned, a experienced veteran manager 
why are you interviewing somebody to hire him as a bench coach? Isn't yeah, your no, I'm not. isn't your veteran manager going to say this is who I want for my bench coach and not say, oh yeah, let's just uh, yeah, you go ahead and hire the bench coach. I'm cool. That's not yeah. how this works. Right, it's not how it works. But you know, you look at how many managerial changes the White Sox have gone through, and uh, yet much of their coaching staff seems to stick around. And there's, to me, that kind of stinks of. Uh, I don't know, you know, maybe I don't want to, the word I'm looking for, I can't really come up with, but collusion kind of seems to be a good word for that because it sounds like the front office is going, hey, you know what? These guys have been part of our club and our organization for a really long time. We want you to keep them. We'll hire you as our manager, but we want you to keep Debo. We want you to keep Super Joe. We want you to keep, right, we want you to keep, you know, like Steverson for all those years. And then, you know, now we've got, the other knucklehead, and, and it's a really good point that you bring up because if I'm a major league manager with winning experience, I'm going, you know what? I got these guys that I really trust and admire their opinion on, and I respect them, and these are the guys that I want by my side. If I miss something, they're going to catch it, you know? Yeah, they're not and just going to want Uncle some Jerry's going, random. nah, you know what? We, we, we have this loyalty that we want to pay to our guys. And if that's the thing that's going to keep us from getting a, a, a good manager hired, that's a really, really bad situation. Seems kind of kind of backwards. But then again, doesn't that fit? Well, it fits. I mean, for we've, we've seen how, the, how they've operated in the past. Um, you know, I had a conversation earlier today um, about one uh, Richard Hahn. How much, you know, everybody has uh, weighed in with their opinion on Twitter, and uh, we've talked about it a little bit here. Not nearly as much as I'd like, so I'm glad you're bringing this up, and I have a feeling I know where you're going, because I did see some of this conversation, I believe. Yeah. Um, How much of the uh, blame do you put on Rick Hahn? for what kind of predicament this team is in? Um, well, I kind of already stated a little bit where my head is on that because, you know, when I talked about the years that he kind of devoted to this rebuild and all the hard work that he put in, and we, you know, we heard all the stories about how he spent many late nights uh, sleepless nights, countless nights on the, you know, on the horn trying to get deals done. And, you know, he, he pulled off some pretty big moves in that time. Uh, and I would say probably most of White Sox fandom was really on board. You know, we, we saw how, you know, Aloy and Dylan Cease came from the Cubs and, you know, everybody said, ah, fleece them. And we saw the moves with the, the Nats and, you know, Lucas Giolito and, 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 you know, the guys that came over in those situations. I'm sorry, uh, Louis Basabe and, you know, that whole the, the whole four-player thing over there and all these guys, you know, everybody was like, fleece them, fleece them, fleece them. You know, Rick Hahn winning. Rick Hahn's at it again. And I, I felt pretty much the same way during that time. And then Tony LaRusso was hired. Everything changed. So, yeah, I think 
you know, my answer to that question is going to be, I still have some faith in Rick in the fact that, or if I should say the fact that he is given full control of this thing again, because it doesn't feel like he has full control since Tony was here. Um, and you know, if anything in that Redditor post that we were just discussing about TLR, you know, having full autonomy kind of seems like Rick Hahn's hands were tied and it felt that way as a Sox fan anyway. Did So I'm kind of, you know, I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but I'm kind of hopeful, I guess that with Tony LaRusso's exit, that we see that type of, uh, management from the front office that Rick Hahn provided for the, you know, the, the years prior to, uh, Tony's hire. Uh, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. I, say you know how much do i hold him accountable Uh, i don't know i guess that remains to be seen with the hire of a new manager but i'm kind of i want to give him the benefit of the doubt i guess is what i'm saying yeah Uh, you know i've been where do you stand i've been uh i've been a rick Hahn apologist for quite a while um i have yeah i have not held him super accountable up until this point, um, I don't hold him responsible for TLR's hiring. You could tell that he was absolutely pained to make that announcement, and it was not not his thing. Uh, I don't blame him for not making big moves at the trade deadline this year. Uh, seeing this team and seeing how this team's operated – uh, under TLR's control and how much autonomy he's had at personnel decisions, uh, things that would make sense that would be TLR things like the uh, Jake Lamb thing, the Larry extension. Um, you know, I, and you know, I, Lance Lane's great, but you know, there's that. I think he, well, he was around for that, right? Was he around for that? I yeah, think. Yeah, he, he was, sure was. Yeah, he was the one who was around there for that. Um, and then signing Joe Kelly, who was injured to start the year. Um, that to me sounds like, uh, well, I know Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly's great in the playoffs. We'll get him because we'll need him for the playoffs, and he'll be fine, you know, by the playoffs. Besides yeah. the fact that nerve damage. Yeah. Despite the fact that they make the playoffs, so it really didn't matter. But, you know, there, there were all these like weird things going on that seem like subplots or uh, just like other strange occurrences and just the way this team has worked and the rumors that you hear and the lack of energy and lack of accountability in the dugout. Like, I completely give him a pass on not trading away your chips when you just look to get just to get to the playoffs, not even go deep, just to even possibly make the playoffs <laughs> after you've watched right. this train wreck the entire year, and you know we've all seen the uh, the tweets where they were like one and one, uh, six and six, you know, and just followed on down the line until they're eighty one and eighty one, and it's like 500, 500, 500, 500. and there's like oh a it list goes of, it goes out to like one ninety and one ninety, I think yeah I saw yeah, it's like point. uh like. 30 lines of text here. 
about how long they've been 500, and we've been talking about it since last June, you know? Right. And, you know, so, you bring up the, the bullpen signings, and you think, and, and we kind of hammered this whole, you know, line of thought for a long time, you know, the whole thing of not going out for the positions that have been glaring holes in this organization for some time, you know, i.e., right field and second base to be very specific but we saw a, a multitude of bullpen moves over the last two seasons and it kind of makes sense that if tony was given the keys to the guys that he wants being considered or or known as the pitching guru tony larusa which you know we With all no know dave that duncan. was probably a, right that was a dave duncan thing but you know it sounds like the kind of thing that Tony LaRusso was would be pining for is bullpen st- pitching wins baseball games. We need a good starting staff, which we have for the most part. You know, there might have been a guy or two we could have used there, but hey, if you're not going to give me the starting pitching, I want to beef up the bullpen, and I want to give a bunch of money to Kendall Graveman and Joe Kelly and Liam Hendricks, and you know, uh, we're going to trade for Crimble. And, you know, it, in that Tony La Russa tenure, we saw more money thrown at the bullpen than anywhere else. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense as a Sox fan who wants to see the, you know, the stud right fielder, the uh, serviceable second baseman. We don't even need a stud. Just give me a serviceable second baseman that doesn't have a negative nine WRC plus from the left side of the plate. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, yeah, it really does kind of make sense when you bring that up though. Uh, you know, that's, uh, and another thing that I blame TLR for, um, you know, we talk about the use of analytics and you see tweets out there and, uh, lots of people have made comments about how the White Sox are among the lowest staff analytical personnel in the league and uh at one point the white Sox did were trending upwards with analytical staff and as soon as tlr got here now this is after covid so who knows how much of that it played on you know how much that played into the whole thing but if they didn't renew their contracts for 2020 because of the whole COVID thing, you'd think that they would find, if not the same people, and get them back, uh, at least find suitable replacements for the analytical staff that you lost. Uh, but knowing that TLR doesn't necessarily want the analytics, he doesn't, he won't use the analytics, uh, that he likes to, he's getting back to, you know, more of a old school baseball, the right way to play, right way to play the game. Um, I blame him for, <laughs> for some of the analytical staff, you know, for, sorry, for the, I couldn't hold that the, back. Well, yeah, it's the, the right way to play the game. Um, right way to play the game. An intentional walker guy, not once, but twice with a one and two count. Exactly. The right way to, well, is there a have question about number? that? Is that have you, not have you something seen the batting that, average at one and two? I mean, I'm. Have you seen his at bats? Um, you know, I, I blame I blame TLR's lack of uh, 
foray into the analytical uh, thing, even though he is the uh, the front runner of analytics, and he had binders and binders of hitters oh. um, to use a uh, you know a uh, Mitt Romney re- you know reference with the binders of women. Uh, TLR had binders and binders on hitters and pitchers, and um, you know even though that that was then and also you have to wonder how much of the analytics for the pitching staff and the amount of moves were made by Dave Duncan you know and you bring his kid here to assist TLR now you know i haven't talked to Shelly Duncan i don't know Shelly Duncan uh i don't know what the dynamic in the dugout was but I'm fairly certain that if Shelly Duncan was giving any numbers to Tony La Russa, it wasn't to intentionally walk a guy with one and two count. I can't think that anybody in that entire organization thought that was a good idea besides Tony La Russa. Yeah, I mean, from what Rick Hahn said, he punched a file cabinet when that happened. So, you know, I mean... God, how did he not break his hand? Because, you know, it happened not once, but... I mean, we talked about it. It happened... Twice. Trey and then it happened a third time where it wasn't one and two. It was a different count, yeah. but he still walked a guy with at least one strike on him. Yeah. Three times in a season. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. So I completely hold that on TLR. Now, coming back to one uh, Richard Hahn. Um, God, got me chain-smoking over here talking about Tony LaRusso's gaps. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, the way I look at this is, I like I said, I don't hold him accountable for TLR. I don't hold him accountable for the way that that whole situation went down, uh, and the fact that they didn't have like uh, you know that true hiring process that everybody's been looking for and are really hoping that happens now. So I'm done passing the buck for Rick Hahn. I'm done with it now because the way I look at it is that if we go through this process again and the insular hire hire is made or if Jerry oversteps again and hires a guy that clearly Rick Hans just like here we go again I look at him differently this time because it's already happened once and this time if you if it happens again and you're still here you're complicit yeah i'll go with that i'll go with that uh it's kind of i guess what i was leaning towards in my statement uh, like this is your last chance, basically. I want to see what happens when a new manager comes in there, and if we don't get the feel that we had prior to Tony Larusa's hire, you know, i.e., twenty sixteen to twenty twenty, when the rebuild was in its, uh, you know, going from its infancy all the way to you know when things were starting to come to fruition here, uh, you know, like they said, that feel was just it, there was excitement, there was hope. You know, and we all kind of felt this turn happening and then it all just kind of fizzled. If we can get back to that 
feeling of, okay, Rick Hahn's back in control and is pulling all the strings and is at least making some of the right moves, then I'll be willing to, you know, maybe hang on and, and, and continue to be, as you say, a, a Rick Hahn apologist. If I don't see that in this next, you know, managerial hire and then, you know, off season into next season, uh, then I'm with you. You you are complicit, and uh, you either walk away or I'm done. You know, I'm just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tote the uh, company water know, the bag for you anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm just I'm kind of you know like if we see uh, the same nonsense that's been going on for the last year, where you know he's signing nothing but relievers, spending money on relievers, and uh, you know going out and s- spending you know. $15 million on role players again, then I'm done, you know? Well, why not just extend Josh Harrison for three years, you know? Hey, you know what? At least he's got close to 100 WRC plus for his career, which is more than you could say about Elvis Andrus. It's more than you could say about Larry Garcia, for sure. Um, And, you know, he's a positive role. You know, he's, he, he plays a positive role in the, in the dugout, from, from what I understand. I mean, I don't know the guy personally, but he seems like he's a – a pretty fun dude to be around. That's great. Um, and it's entirely possible that next year we go into the season and with a different guy at the helm of the club that the team plays better and that they have more fire and they're, they're ready to go. And it's possible that that could have even happened anyway, even if TLR was here after the disappointment that they've had this season. It's entirely possible that that could possibly happen. But... Um, you know, the, the problem being is that with this roster, they've painted themselves into such a awful corner with, with these moves that they've made that this season, I don't know. I mean, you've got Jose Abreu's money coming off the books, Kimbrell's money's off the books. Uh, but now you've got AJ Pollock and his $8 million, uh, you know, plus $5 million buyout, $13 million of incentives that he hit. Yeah, um, all those escalators are, are yeah. going to hurt. Yeah, no shot that yeah. he's turning that down now. I mean, uh, yeah, as, yeah, it's Monty Grandal who looks like he's just broken and there's no repair. It, it seems that there's no repair. But, well, and, you know, maybe no. we're wrong on that. Maybe an offseason of getting the correct treatment, but, you know, the back and the legs have been an issue for years now. Yeah. And yeah, it's been pretty there's bad. a lot of money tied up there. Yeah, so I mean, I I don't really realistically know what to expect from the White Sox in the way of moves this year, uh, because without Jose Abreu, without his money there, without Kimbrel there, and without uh, a couple of them, I mean, you're still like right around, uh, I think somewhere around like 175 million or 165 million or something. I think it was like 165 without AJ, so it's like 172 with him or something like that. I I, I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, I, something like that. But well, then, and not to mention you've got Dylan Cease who is in an arbitration who's going to get a bump. Uh you've got Michael Kopech who's in an arbitration year and is going to get a bump regardless of, you know, what some people might say. It might not be a huge bump, but he's going to get something. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a you know a couple, a handful of guys that are going to be in arbitration that are going to get bumps, that are going to go up. So, 
you know, realistically, how much money is Rickon going to be allowed to spend in the offseason? That's exactly my point, is that at this season, if he's going to do something that's actually really going to be something that is a improvement to the team, he's really going to have to be creative in order to do something that's really going to change. It's going to be a game changer for this team because with what's on contract and the amount of contracts that you've got that nobody else is going to want, your payroll's not going down considerably. You're probably going to try and, you know, DFA Leori or try and hope. I mean, they, they could try and deal him. And, you know, we, we, I think, I think we've had this conversation before that it's entirely possible that you could trade him to somebody that is going to use him in the role that he is actually suited for, which is a role player and a utility guy that fills in for you starting once in a while. Just enough so he's not detrimental to the team. Just enough that he's going to stay pseudo-limber to make it through an entire season. You know, if he gets 150 at-bats, so be it. Okay, that's that's like that's what you should probably want for him. You know? And uh, the fact that he's, uh, I think he's still like 7th in, you know, up until the end of the season, he was like 7th in at-bats for the White Sox this year. Unacceptable. Yeah, I don't care how many injuries without you Without playing, have. like, you know, almost the entire last three weeks of the season. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, uh, did you happen to see that uh, that rumor that was floating around that uh, Lowry and uh, Miguel Cairo were not uh, very friendly with each other? Did you happen to catch that anywhere? I did not, but it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I heard... <laughs> I heard a rumor, you know, I mean, the, how much of it is reality, but uh, apparently at uh, Tim Anderson's sneaker ball, there were some things said to some people there that uh, apparently they were not uh, the best of friends. And so that that probably is more why he was not starting and not necessarily the uh, the back issue that was given as an explanation. Uh, how much of that well, is true? I don't know. but I don't know, but I would say, you know, one of the last times we that game that we talk about that kind of seemed to throw the monkey wrench in the whole, you know, the White Sox still have a chance in the last couple weeks of the season. And it's the first game of the Guardians series, and we see Leary Garcia, and it was almost like Miguel Cairo said, okay, this is your last chance, dude. You got bases loaded with two outs in a game that we need to have in hand. This is your last opportunity, and he didn't come through. And at that moment, he pretty much sat him down, and we didn't see him again. You yeah, know? I mean that's possible. I wish that he would have. I wish he would have said, "You know what? I'm not going to take that chance." But again, you know what are we talking about here? So, if what if they do come back and win that game? You know, there were there's no saying that anybody that would have come off the bench at that point would have gotten a job done either. But let's just say they did. Do they do anything the rest of that series? Do they have the team built to go deep into the playoffs? Probably not either way. So, you know what? If I'm Miguel Cairo, screw it. Here's your opportunity. Do it or take a seat. And then somebody in the White Sox organizations go, well, you know, 
practice back tightness, so we're just going to give him some time off. Yeah, just give him some time. No big deal. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see what uh, what Rickon can do to uh, get creative and try and improve this team. How much of – and, again, you know, with Jose Abreu not being here, he's going to have to get really creative to make this – you know, to improve – what's left on the roster um, with less money. And I just don't know if that's going to happen. I've heard from other, you know, I've seen on other uh, streams slash podcasts that uh, generally every year the White Sox bump their spending. They generally bring it back the year after. And uh, it sounds very familiar every single time. So, you know, I would assume that that is uh, probably what we can – bank on for next year's starting payroll and um right and you know we talked i just brought up yasmani grandal a couple minutes ago and that might be the perfect excuse for tony to come out and say i'm not going to throw big money around because when i do i get burned jerry i'm sorry jerry yeah we got rid of that one jerry tony same guy (laughs) we got rid of tony (laughs) we got rid of that one they, they might be the same guy wearing a mask i don't know uh. Yeah. Well, we still we but, still have that one. There's not much we can do about that one. Yeah, but uh, you're. I'm sorry. You're right, uh, Jerry. It, it, it to me, it just seems like the perfect excuse for him to dial back payroll using Yasmani's excuse. Like, hey, you know what? When we picked him up, we thought he was worth every penny, but unfortunately, he's getting a little long in the tooth and he's broken, and we're just not going to do that because, you know, it, it, it. We spend money and we get burned. Yeah, I ho- I mean, see, like the, you know, like I said earlier, you know, we don't, the, apparently the White Sox don't have the kind of problems that you can just throw money at to fix. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> even if they did, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about that happening. Uh, clearly, and, that and, is know, not something that they're going to do. And don't get me wrong, because I was ecstatic when they brought Yasmani Ground. You know, uh, he was still doing the things that Yasmani Grandal was known to do when that contract was issued. Uh, It's just unfortunate that he's kind of gone through what a lot of the White Sox team has gone through injury-wise. Maybe if the right training staff had been in place the last couple of seasons, that a contract might have been worth every dime. We don't really know. This is all just speculation, but, you know, you try to cut corners in one place, and you go out and you spend in another place, and it bites you in the butt. You know anybody that's done any kind of job anywhere in the world, when you cut corners, they come back to haunt you. And this is a club that has been known to do it over and over, time and time again. You know, I was a, a Reinsdorf apologist for a while about, and maybe not an apologist, but you know, I was on that he's not cheap bandwagon. And a lot of folks will point to this season's payroll as, oh, well, they were the seventh highest payroll in baseball. He's not being cheap. Okay, he's not being cheap, but the money is being spent completely, absolutely, absurdly wrong. Yeah. And, I, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, again, that for- we, we say the bullpen, if the bullpen was the request of TLR, who is the guy who's got the autonomy, and he's like, this is what I need to win. Go out and get me these guys. And Jerry Reinsdorf cuts the check, you know. There it is, and right. that, that to me seems like a, a plausible explanation. Um, right, but the, you know we're on that we're on this thread of thought that brings us to that whole thing of why 
you know, Rick Hahn might be a little handcuffed in this upcoming offseason because of those bullpen characters that have some uh, less than desirable contracts left that are going to tie his hands. They're good. We're, we're, you know, Rick Hahn's going to have to get creative again. Now, he's been known to pull a rabbit out of his head, let's be honest, when he can pull the trigger and everything. Now, is that, you know, is that something that maybe the rest of the league has gone, hey, you know, can't let this guy you know, fool us again, you know, or are we going to learn from some of these past, you know, moves or whatever, which to be honest with you, some of them haven't worked out the way we thought they were going to, but you know, uh, again, you can make trades. You can take some of these guys on this team that maybe have a team friendly deal and some production behind them and try to make a move. But if you're doing that for a player who's got a little bit higher payroll, is that going to be approved by the chairman? You know, you and I have talked about some uh, interesting ways to make things happen off stream. And the question is always met guy, this guy. And you cut out. What someone. was that? Well, I was just saying the question was, you know, what if they were able to so-and-so who's on a team friendly contract or maybe move this other guy who's on a little, better of a contract and it's got the kind of production that will have a decent return but you got to look at who they're trading for and if we're trading a guy on a on a team-friendly contract to get more value in return what is the the player in return making what kind of contract does he have and is that going to be approved by the chairman yeah. is that going to keep rick Hahn's possibilities of even making a trade to a minimum you know i yeah, it's, uh, he's it's got going some, to be interesting to see. He's got some work to do. He's got some work to sure. do, and he's got some tough chances or some tough decisions to make. I mean, uh, right. speaking on Jose Abreu, you know, he's the top player on the team for like the last nine years, and right. he's gone now. So the you know, there's two schools of thought: is that you can't let him walk because he had your you know the best offensive season on the team for the last nine years. And then there's the other train of thought where it's like, well, Andrew Vaughn can't get into first base if Jose Abreu's still here because you got to have Aloy in DH. So the thing is, is like, what do you do? And, and you know, let's be frank. They kind of figured that Jose Abreu was going to start to tail off. And so the thing is, is that he didn't tail off. The power numbers weren't there this year. But which could be a telling sign, but that again, you know, they're there for team this. Life. This is exactly my point is that if that power now being gone is uh, a calling of what's to come, is that the yeah, bat is precursor. starting to slow down a little bit? You know, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the exit velocity says no, but the thing is, he's he's still a good hitter, but. You know, if his numbers, you know, say say they trade Vaughn and they re-sign Jose Abreu because Jose Abreu has been their guy for nine years and they want to be loyal and they want to keep him around and keep him in a White Sox uniform like they did with Pauly. Do you remember the last couple of years of Pauly's career? Oh, like nosedive. Big exactly. Time. Exactly my point. So if, say, Jose has another good year next year, but they sign him to like a three-year deal or whatever – because they're going to have to have a three-year deal in place because if they get rid of Vaughn, that's the future first baseman. 
And that was the guy who was supposed to take over for Jose Abreu. So if you trade him to get value back, then, you know, if Jose starts doing that nosedive, like you know is coming at some point, more than likely, then you paint yourself into an even worse corner by trying to re-sign Jose Abreu again. And now what are you doing? Are you hoping are you keeping Gavin Sheets in the organization after trading Andrew Vaughn and hoping that Gavin Sheets can be the guy if yeah. Jose falls? Oh, you know, we've seen uh, Gavin Sheets can hit the ball a long way, but can he stay consistent enough to be a productive hitter over the course of a full season? So you know, far the numbers he's, he's say streaky. No. Yeah. He's streaky. You know, when he finds when he gets on He's a lot of fun to watch. Unfortunately, he's not on nearly enough to be impactful. Yep, we got some interesting things coming up this off season, and uh, as it is our off season now, um, we are going to uh, just to let you guys know uh, that are listening or watching, uh, we are going to be cutting our stream slash podcast down. Uh, there's not as much material to talk about and, uh, we don't want to sit here and riff on the same thing for uh, hours at a time, you know, right. if we can avoid it. So, at uh, least until, uh, you know, the hot stove gets cooking and rolling. at least until it, something the White Sox gives, yeah. us, gives us something to talk about. If something interesting happens, then yes, maybe, you know, maybe we start stretching things out, but I don't really see, you know, I don't really see a whole lot of huge moves coming up. So, you know, for uh, this off season, but, uh, you never know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how creative they get over there and uh, see if Rick Hahn can do something to uh, quell the masses and, uh, you know, get them to uh, put their pitchforks and torches down. <laughs> you know, my biggest hope right now is that, uh, you know, like you said, we've seen the trends where the payroll goes up one year and it gets knocked back down the following year. Uh you know, my only hope now is that we've seen a lot of firsts in the organization the last few seasons. Uh, some of them good, some of them bad. But, you know, there was some hope that, again, things were kind of changing and trending in an upward direction. Maybe, just maybe, God, can I hold on to this last shred of hope for this White Sox team that maybe Jerry finally opens up the purse strings and instead of going backwards and payroll says, you know what, do what you got to do to bring me home a winner. Do what you got to do. Get the payroll north of 200. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the CBA gets a nice little bump this season before you hit that first threshold. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm hopeful, but, uh, not holding my breath at the same time. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and, uh, and this one with a uh, little bit of a hopeful overtone uh, with, uh, you know, <laughs> unhinged optimism. Uh, maybe things will be awesome. What else do we awesome. have at this point, man? Things are going to be so good. Things are going to be so good this offseason. You'll see. Um, yeah, so this is I mean, been... I can't be crotchety 24-7. You know? Yeah, you can. Yeah, I can. You can. Yep. <laughs> Um, this has been White Sox Daily Live. Uh, my name is Ian Eskridge. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at iEskridge. Uh, my co-host, Danny Miller. You can find him on Twitter at Danny Miller WSD. Um, we are here every Monday 
at 9 p.m. Uh, that might change. I don't know. We'll talk about it. We're talking about possibly moving things up and switching things, switching things around. We'll see how that goes. Um, in this winter season, might be a little bit easier to get in earlier and get done with it. Um, at Daily White Sox on Twitter. Just get it over with. Yeah. White Sox, <laughs> White Sox Daily at whitesoxdaily.substack.com, which I might add, you can find a stellar article uh, that was written by our very own Dan Victor in. Fantastical, uh, even. Over the, over the last week, uh, speaking with Andy Barquette, the minor league hitting coordinator. Um, and uh, it's a. It's really nice. Uh, there's some really good stuff in there. Um, I won't spoil it for you, uh, but it's it's a nice nice piece, and uh, you see what exactly is being done down in the minor leagues to improve the results from the uh, affiliates, and uh, he does some really good work. Um, I have my son in Andy Barquette's uh, virtual hitting school, which you can find at baseballprosacademy.com. Um and he has some uh, great webinar stuff that's going on. And uh, last week, uh, Cameron Seitzer, who is the uh, hitting coach for the Kannapolis Cannonballers, was his guest on his webinar. And uh, there's some really cool stuff on there. Um, they have a forum, and you can post all sorts of videos of uh, your burgeoning uh, Triple Crown winner that you are uh, trying to uh, build up. And uh, he'll hop in there and he'll comment on it and uh, let you know all the kind of stuff that you should be doing to uh, improve. So it's pretty cool. Um, But uh, yeah, that's an awesome article. Go ahead and read it. Um, Yeah, agreed, uh, 100%. Yeah, and uh, you know we've got a YouTube channel. Just go ahead and search White Sox Daily. There's some highlights from some stuff. I'm going to start posting some of the uh, better moments from this year's minor league, uh, you know, like basically uh, season highlights, you know, some of the bigger moments. Um, I got a couple planned already to throw up on the uh, the YouTube channel that uh, some cool stuff. And uh, into the off season, we wander. Hopefully, uh, we get some nice stuff to talk about, and uh, some good decisions are made, and some uh, proper hiring practices are are used. Yeah, as they uh, as they whittle down the uh, new managerial search, I'm sure we'll have some nice little nuggets for you. But uh, until that happens, uh, you know it's it's all just about licking our wounds at this point. So hang in there, folks. Indeed. We're gonna be here with you through it all. <laughs> yep, and uh, you know, hopefully next year is a little bit sunnier. Get out of this uh, dreary 2022 that uh, you know. I was all too happy that it was over when it ended because that was bleak. Oh. Yep. So uh, my name is Ian Eskridge. This has been White Sox Daily Live. For my co-host, the Danny Miller, you guys have a great night, and we will check in with you guys next week, and hopefully there's uh, something interesting to talk about. You guys have a great night. Thanks. Bye.